brothers and sisters, uh, as you see, my name is uh, uh, Steve Tillis, and Sunday morning they had this uh, they had this picture of me. And I was sitting right there, I was like, man, that's really a larger than life picture, and I was uh, kind of checking my weight and that kind of thing. But uh, uh, I, I just want to say that uh, we're so so thankful uh, for Bo and Ashley and an opportunity to come and worship with you uh, this week. So I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I lived most of my life in South Florida. And uh, the Lord uh, worked in my life there. And uh, when I was a young boy, I was seven years old, December 1st, uh, 1984, the Lord uh, came into my heart. He saved me, changed me. And uh, yes, you can get saved at seven. Amen. Uh, You can get saved at seven. You can get saved at 30. You can get saved at 95. If God is moving on your heart, if you'll trust Him, He'll save you from your sins and give you an eternal home in heaven. So I trusted the Lord as my Savior, and uh, not, uh, not too long after that, a few years went by, and uh, as uh, maybe uh, some would be all too familiar for some of you, um, my family was broken up, so I kind of grew up in a, in a broken home, and I uh, didn't get an opportunity to go to church and get an opportunity to really grow in my faith. And in fact, uh, I remember um, I remember the age of 13 thinking that God wasn't good to me. And uh, how could Jesus... I remember thinking, well, Jesus never went through divorce. Jesus' parents never broke up. So how does He know what I'm going through? And uh, I'm thankful tonight that the Lord Jesus was tender and gracious in my own life. And walked through me through that time. And uh, kind of um, called me to preach. And I got right with the Lord when I was about 18, and started serving the Lord. So I've been preaching for about 22 years. Uh, But there's been some ups and downs and ins and outs through all of that, as I'm sure there has been uh, through your life. Married my wife, Connie. And um, I I was a night manager at a rescue mission in Chattanooga uh, for several years. Finished up college. And uh, my wife and I, we um, went to uh, North Carolina, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina and worked on my master's degree and finished up there. And then uh, a few years after that, kind of glutton for some punishment, I went back for another degree and I'm not sure I'm going to finish before the time I die. I'm trying the best I can. I I, I had hair like Bo when I started the program. And uh, no, I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I had hair like Bo when I started at my church. And uh, so, you know, Bo Bo will be bald here in about two years. So at uh, no, I, I just uh, I just praise the Lord for Bo. You know, share uh, had an opportunity. My church, we were up there, at kind of the church fair, and Bo Bo tells the story last night as if uh, there was something good in me. Like you know, Brother Steve took forty five minutes while all these people were passing by, and he just invested in me and listened. Have you ever talked with Bo? <laughs> brother Bo is, I mean, he is on top of it. He's an intense brother. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Lord really uh, blessed us together, and um, a few years we were together. Uh, just praise God for uh, the work in, in His life and in Ashley's life and uh, baby Wren. And we, uh, we as a family, we just love them. We thank God. You know, some of you have said, well, was it hard to see Him go? Well, of course it was hard to see Him go. But you know what? In, in life, you have to open up your hands, and uh, you have to let uh, God's servants go. And I'm so thankful that He is here and working in this church. And I think over the last year, when you see God's blessed here and, uh, and through His ministry, it's good to also tonight, I hope you don't mind, 
uh, dear friends of mine, uh, brother and sister in the back, Robert and Mary Daughtry, uh, we went to seminary together, and he pastors uh, not, uh, not too far from here, and uh, they drove in tonight to be with us, and, and so I, I'm thankful for them, dear brothers in Christ and serving the Lord. And so that's, that's kind of who I am. Uh, I want you to know, uh, I get, um, you know, I've been preaching for a long time, but I, I get, I'm a little nervous with you because I'm just a local church pastor. And I kind of said that last night a little bit. And so all I know how to do the best I can is to open God's Word and shepherd God's people, teach the Word. And I've been begging and praying that God would do a work in all of our lives that we might love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength, and that we would love each other as we love ourselves. Amen? If we'll do those things and we'll give ourselves over to the power of the living God through the Spirit of God, maybe, just maybe, we'll be prepared for the Lord when He wants to send revival into our hearts. So last night we talked a little bit about the purpose of revival. You remember that? Just one night ago. Hopefully you remember. We talked about the purpose of revival. We said the purpose of revival is not necessarily seeing a thousand people come to faith in Christ. The purpose of revival is not seeing bars shut down, although those things would be wonderful. The purpose of revival is not necessarily a great emotional thing going on in your life, but the purpose of revival is that God's people would learn to rejoice and be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ once again. There was a time in our lives as believers where we trusted Jesus, we put our faith and our confidence in Christ alone that maybe it might have been in this church for you, maybe it might have been with your parents, maybe it might have been December 1st, 1984, as the rain was coming down and I went into my mom and dad's bedroom and when I was a kid, when you were put to bed, you did not get out of bed or it was spanking time. And I remember I was so scared I went in my parents' room. I was not afraid of the storm that was going on outside of the window. I was afraid of the storm that was going on in my own soul that as a seven-year-old I knew that hell was real. I knew that Jesus had died on the cross for my sin and rose again. And I knew that I needed Jesus in my heart and in my life if I wanted to see the Lord in eternity. And I put my faith and confidence in Christ alone. Greatest day of my life is when I trusted Jesus. Amen? And maybe you're here tonight and you have a moment like that in your life. Maybe you don't necessarily have to remember a day nor a time nor a day, but you remember a time in your life where you heard the gospel and God did a work on the inside and you knew that you were lost and on your way to hell and Jesus came rushing into your soul and brought peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness and the love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the work of Calvary. Amen? But we all live lives and we get busy and sin creeps into our lives. And I imagine that there are some of God's people in this room tonight. And the reason why you're here is that you need revival. You need to be restored again. You need joy in your life. And the purpose of revival is that you would stop looking to idols that you would stop looking to other people, and that you would return back to the day of your salvation and find your joy and your strength in the salvation of the Lord. What are the conditions of revival? 
Tonight we want to look at that for just a few moments from Isaiah 57. Let me read one verse for you and I'll say a few words about it. Look at Isaiah chapter number 57 and verse number 15. I've been pondering and reading and meditating on. In fact, I found myself in Bo's office today meditating on this verse while he was doing Greek homework. Amen? You do some Greek homework. I'll study God's Word. Here we go. Verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite or a crushed and a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Will you pray with me tonight that for a few minutes God would work with us? Our Father, we come to You and thank You for Your mercy and kindness and grace. I thank You tonight, Lord, for these fine people who have given their Monday evening to come out to a revival service. And so I pray that You would cause Your face to shine upon all of us. We pray that the powers of darkness and Satan himself would be bound outside of these four walls. And I pray that your spirit would rush into our souls, that you would restore the joy of our salvation. And Lord, tonight that we would place ourselves under the conditions of revival that you might restore, that you might work, that you might cast out the wrong and fill us with a love and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be thankful tonight for all that you do, for it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. When it comes to understanding maybe the conditions of revival, the conditions of restoration, I maybe would give you a couple illustrations. You know, I played uh, basketball when I was in high school, and we had a coach, and, and he would just shout to us all the time, I mean, even when we were playing, ready position, ready position, ready position. And the ready position was you had to have your knees bent, you had to have your backside lowered, you had to have your arms out, and you had to be ready looking at the torso of the person in front of you to be able to stop what was going on and you know just like all of us we we get a little tired we get a little winded somewhere along that third quarter you know and I'd just be kind of standing around like this knees locked and you know what would happen somebody would go around me and what the coach would shout to us is be in that ready position be in that ready position get yourself in the condition to be able to do what needs to happen so that when the play comes your way you are ready to react act to what happens. And I want to say to us tonight, every believer under the sound of my voice, you need to decide tonight that you are ready to come under the conditions for revival. You can't force God to show up. You can't force the Spirit to come and do something. You can't push revival on this church. But what you can do is be in the ready position. Maybe a second analogy I would use this evening is I want you to understand that Christianity is a farmer's religion. You see, you can till the ground. You can plant the soil or the seed. You can water the soil. You can remove the weeds. But you can't control growth. You go in and you put your head on the pillow and you have no idea what God is doing to the seed beneath the soil. And only God can bring growth and life. But what you can do 
is place yourself in a position to meet the conditions that if God wants to do a work in your soul tonight, that you're ready and willing to receive what He gives you. Let me just make two points this evening. Here's the first one I want to make to you. Get on your knees before the Lord and worship Him for how good and wonderful He is. Maybe I could say it a a little bit differently. I was speaking with Bo today and we were talking about that song that says, uh, I stand, I stand in all of you. Have you ever heard that song before? There's nothing wrong with it. It's a wonderful tune. In fact, I love to sing that song. I stand in all of you. But I want to say on this night to all of us that the conditions of revival will be less of us standing in awe of God and rather us bowing down in awe of God. I have a friend of mine that wrote his dissertation on the use of worship throughout the entire Scriptures. And do you know that the overwhelming majority of the time when individuals in the Bible come into the very presence of the God of heaven, they are not standing in awe, but they are bowed down prostrate before the Lord, worshiping Him and realizing that He is high and holy and we are not. So I want to say to us this evening, look back down at the text and just let yourself be raptured and carried up and in your heart. I want you to bow down. I want you to think about the glory and the majesty and how wonderful God is. Look at what the text says. For thus says the Lord, one who is high. You see, He is above and He is lifted up. He is in the lofty place. It is God who dwells upon the circles of the earth. It is God who is over all things. He created all things. He sustains all things. And one day He will make all things right in the world, right? He is high and He is holy. And look what it says here. Who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. I want you to understand this evening that if you want to meet the conditions for revival, that in your heart you will look to the God of heaven and adore Him and worship Him and give Him honor and praise for He alone is worthy. What about our great God? Well, look at what the text says. I would say that about our great God, that He inhabits eternity. God is not a Johnny-come-lately. He was here before time began, and He will be here after time is wrapped up and thrown away. God is before and during and after time. He is the God of eternity. Sometimes, you know, uh, my wife is more practical than me. You know, we'll be talking around and I want to talk about the aseity of God, right? And you know, some of you in here are like, what in the world is that? I enjoy talking theology. In fact, Bo and I have been kind of running off a little bit together and talking theology. But sometimes my wife and I will be talking and we talk and she'll say, I can't handle it. I can't handle thinking about the eternity of God. And you know what? Isn't that where all of us have to be tonight? Can you ponder the eternity of God? All of us in this room, there was a time when we were not, but there will never be a time when we are not again, for we will all be living for eternity, either in heaven with Him or in hell. But God has always existed. 
The duration of God is that He knows all things and He is before all things and that He created all things and that in Him all things exist. And I say to you this evening, we need to extol the eternality of our God and realize that we serve a being that is not at our beck and call. God is not a buffet line of where you take what you want and leave what you don't want. We bow down and say, He owns all of it. And when I get up and go to work tomorrow, you get up and live your life. and You take care of your children. You walk in your day-to-day life. You should draw your attention to the glory and the majesty of God that He is before all things. And I want to say something to you tonight. Whatever you're worried about, He was here long before it ever came. And He could handle it. Now, let me teach you for a moment. Some of you right now are wanting to hear something that's going to fire you up. What I'm telling you is you need to wake up every day of your life and think and meditate and pray and read to know more of God. You should come to this church and long to hear messages about God. And you should listen to your pastor as he preaches you the theology of the Scripture. You should have a desire. Listen, I've got some people in my church, and I'm sure you've got a few here. Pastor, I, I, I'm not a theologian like you. I, I just, I, you are a theologian. The issue is not whether you're a theologian or not. The issue is whether you're a good one or a bad one. And do you realize when you say, oh, I'm not interested in that theology kind of stuff. I, I just, just give me our daily bread. I don't want any of that theology kind of stuff. What you're saying is you don't want to know about God. And you wonder why you don't have revival? You wonder why your soul is covered up with the calluses of sin and wickedness? You wonder why you're dead when you come? You wonder why it is that you don't have a burning passion in your heart to serve your community and to serve your church and to worship Christ. You wonder why it is that you don't have a desire to sing at the top of your lungs and you come in on Sunday morning and put your arms like this just to see who's here and who's not and whether you like the song service or if the sermon was okay. The reason why is because you don't know God. If you want revival... You got to know God. Not only that God is eternity, but I want you to see this. Look back down to the text. God has this duration of being everlasting, but God has a beautiful and a holy character. Look what it says who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. When's the last time? That you just took a few minutes and gave God praise and honor with your lips for being holy, for being righteous, for being good, for being kind. You know, there's these battles sometimes over Calvinism and Arminianism, and we're not going to get into that tonight, but I will tell you that some people mistakenly elevate the sovereignty of God over every other attribute that God has, and that is a fallacy. The premier and the elevated attribute of God in which all other attributes flow is the holiness of God. He is righteous and He is good 
and He is holy. It is the angels around the throne in Isaiah and in Revelation that cry out thrice times, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy. Brothers and sisters, I tell you that if you want revival in your heart, if you want to be restored, if you want a restoration and a joy and a power, the condition that you need to meet tonight is that you go back to seeing God for who He is, that He is eternal in His duration, and that He is holy in His character. He is far beyond us. You see, when we move our eyes from ourselves and horizontally from other people and we look to the God of heaven, we see how good and marvelous He is and it reminds us that we in our own hearts are evil and wicked and we are not holy. Then we stand in the need of God's holiness placed in our heart. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the New Testament says? Be holy even as I am holy. And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, how in the world could I possibly be holy? You can't on your own. The only reason why that demand can be made of you is because you bear the image of God inside of you. And it is God who meets the standard of holiness. And in so much that you give yourself over to the image of God and His Son, He will produce a holiness in your life. God is holy. Now let me teach for just a moment. Let me see where I am here on time. Okay, listen. What is holiness? If I cornered you tonight after the service, hopefully you'd get it. If I said to you, hey, what's holiness? Certainly you might use synonyms like God's goodness, God's righteousness, God's justice. And all of that would be right. But if I had to get you to put like a hands-on illustration of what holiness is, Could you give me that? Let me see if I can maybe give you an illustration of a way to think about it. I'm going to coin a word here. Holiness simply means otherness. God is completely other than us. He's separate. The way God thinks, the things God does, the way God acts is different than us. And when Jesus came into the New Testament... Jesus gives you the living illustration of what holiness looks like. If you'll read the Sermon on the Mount, let me show you what holiness looks like. When Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that you are to bless those that curse you. And you're to pray for those who despitefully use you. Is there anyone in this room that would stand up and say, that's the way I behave every day of my life. Or would you say, that is foreign to me? And in fact, do you know how much that demonstrates the holiness of God? Do you know there are theologians that their minds can't even get wrapped around that? That they say, well, that's a demand of God in another dispensation in the future. That doesn't apply to us. Of course it applies to you. God is holy. He is different. He is separate. My nature is a sinful nature. I can't even let anybody on the on-ramp when I'm on the interstate. You're the same way. You know what happens in your soul. You see somebody creeping up there. They've even got a blinker on. Bam! You push that vertical pedal on the right. You're not going to let anybody in for the glory of Jesus. 
And you think you've made progress in your life when you let one car in to make that right hand turn. I'm the same way. It's not normal or natural to bless the people that hate you. But Jesus did. And God does. And if you want real revival, you'll take a few minutes in your life tonight and maybe every day this week and you'll focus and think about the otherness of God that He is so holy and righteous and good that He would send His Son to be made a mockery of, to be beaten, to have His beard ripped out of His face. Isaiah would say something, something like this, that He was marred beyond the recognition of a man. That we did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God. That His back was laid open with a cat of nine tails. And you think all of that, I'm watching the passion, seeing all of the physical damage on Jesus. I know that breaks your heart. I know tears run to our face when we think of the brokenness and the crown of thorns jammed upon Christ's head. But can I tell you, far worse than the physical damage is that every sin you have ever committed in your life or ever will commit in your life was placed into the life of the Son of God who had no concept of sin and He died hanging between heaven and earth naked and ashamed for your sin. That's holiness. And if you want God to do a restorative work in your heart tonight, you'll look to heaven in your soul and say, He is eternal. He is mighty. He is glorious. And He is holy. He is good. He is just. He is right. Brothers and sisters, you'll, you'll go to bed tonight and you'll know that every child that is starving to death in the world does not go unnoticed by the God of heaven and He will make all things right in the future. He is holy. His character is right and just. He lives for eternity. His character is holy. And his position is that of ruler. Look back down at the text. He inhabits eternity whose name is holy. And then he says here, I dwell. You know that word can be translated I dwell or I live. Or how about this? I fellowship. That's kind of what it talks about the community. I dwell in the high and holy place. God is the ruler over all the world. Can I just talk to you as a family tonight? Will you really receive that? Whatever's going on in your life, will you just receive the fact that God is in control of all the world, including your life? It'll be a good day in your life when you realize that God did not create you to rule the world and that it's a crushing weight on your life when you try. If you want real revival, if you want to have that purpose of revival, the joy to be restored, the condition is to look 
to heaven and worship and honor and glorify God because He lives for eternity, because He is holy in His character, and because He is the ruler of all the world. And I say to every A-type personality in here tonight, you, when you struggle and you've got to control everything and manipulate everything and own everything and know everything and you can't sleep at night and you have unrest and you have ulcers because you want to figure out how all of life has to come together, you are kicking against the pricks and you are denying the authority and the rulership of the God of heaven. I urge you tonight. I urge you. If you want to meet the conditions for revival. Don't stand in awe of God. Bow down in your heart. And worship Him. For who He is. And what He has done. Amen. I add one more to that point. I move. My wife and I. Um. A couple years ago, we were at the beach in the summertime on vacation, and uh, I was getting—I got up early and I was journaling. And I, this may be just an application, maybe a way that you can work on this. And I, I started to pray, and I say, you know what? I'm just going to praise the Lord. Here's two things you can do. When you start to pray, you should always begin with praise. You say, "Well, I've got sin in my heart." Praise God. You know what it'll do? It'll burn inside of you of how much you stand in need of Him. Praise Him. Even if you've got unconfessed sin, begin with praise. And it'll hurt. And it'll burn. If you are in here and you're overwhelmed with things in life, begin with praise and not with petition. And what you'll find is that God will jerk you straight as to the priorities of your life. You say, where do you get that? Well, our dear pastor has been preaching from the Lord's Prayer. And isn't that the way that it begins? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here's something else you can try. When you begin to praise God, here's an exercise that I want you to work on. We always tend to praise God for what He's done. Right? And we should. I praise God for my family. I praise God for my friends. I praise God for my salvation. I praise God for my church. I praise God for my health. I praise and thank God for you just say it. He has done so many things. Here's an exercise I'd like for you to work on that will lead you toward the conditions of revival. Why don't you try praising God for who He is as well? Say, Pastor, that makes me think. That puts a permanent crease in my forehead. I have to think about that. It wouldn't hurt you to think about Jesus and the Lord. What do you mean? I just sat there. I had a cup of coffee. I'm weird. I don't like hot weather. So when we go to the beach, I just take a bunch of books and I sit inside in the air condition. I know you think that's odd. But I just sat there and I began to say, Lord... Help me to praise you for who you are. What does that mean? You'll start having good words come to your vocabulary. If you don't know how to do that, just call to Him and say, Lord, will you help me to thank you and praise you? What does it mean to praise you for who you are? You'll start coming across words like this. Lord, you live forever. You're eternal. You're eternal. 
God, you're holy. You're sovereign. You're the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. I thank you, and I started explaining this. So the Lord just kind of, and I said, I'm not going to get to what the Lord has done until I've spent some time on this. I just want you to encourage you to do that. Begin by praying and praising God for who He is. I fear sometimes that a lot of our people in our pews, we have Wednesday night prayer sessions and we, we thank God and we praise God for all that He's done. But I want you to know something. If God never did anything for you the rest of your days, He would still be eternal and holy and ruling of all the world and worthy of your praise for being who He is. God doesn't owe you anything. And if you'll begin to do that, it'll place your life in the right place where you say, Hey, wait a second. This thing's not all about me. It's all about Him. Now let me transition. Let me give you this last point. Many of you tonight are probably thinking, thank Jesus, He only has two points. <laughs> I want you to notice the con- contrast in this verse. And we'll finish. Look at what it says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also... Oh man, aren't you glad for this? Look what it says. And also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Where does God live? He lives in His holy realm, in His eternality, in His holiness, in His goodness, in His justice, in His sovereignty. But you know what? God's got a summer home in your life. Look at the contrast. God is holy and you're not, but where does God take up residence? I told you the word means to dwell, to live, to fellowship. You know where God fellowships? He fellowships in the lives of people who have met the condition of being lowly and contrite in their heart and in their mind. Do you meet that condition tonight? You know, the only time that Jesus ever said anything about His character, He said, I am meek and lowly. Let me just hit both of those. Do you have humility in your life? The soil of the entire Christian life is humility. All of the other virtues of the Christian life grow in the soil of humility. And I once told our people, I said, pride is like uh, body odor. Everybody else can smell it but you. And there's people, and there are people in this room tonight. I'm talking to you, dear friend, and you're arrogant. You're prideful. You're full of yourself. You need to lay that down tonight. And you need to take on a spirit of humility. Humility is not some sort of uh, false humility where you just make fun of yourself or self-degradation or uh, self-excoriation. Humility is just having an accurate view. And some people said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Part of the reason why many of our churches don't have unity is because they're filled with prideful Christians that are so full of ourselves that we can't put Christ first and put others ahead of ourselves. Isn't that what the Bible says? Let each esteem others better than themselves. 
I was, I, I, I was at a church one time and I, I, these two people were talking to me before the service and uh, one person had been to the same mission field. They had done like a short-term mission trip and uh, this other person came up and they said, hey, I, was on the, I went to the same place and I went there longer so I was able to do more than he did. The guy missed the whole point of the missions trip. If you come back from a missions trip and all you got from it is that you were able to do more than another brother or sister, you have arrogance and pride in your heart and God doesn't dwell with you. Do you want God to dwell with you? Do you want revival? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Say, Steve, what does that look like? Let me give you a practical application. When you're in the conversation with somebody else, don't always have to have the last word. Learn when to be quiet. And let somebody else have the last word. What if they're wrong? Let it be. Husbands, you want to be humble? Let your wife have the remote tonight when you go home. Oh man, I'm in trouble. I got 45 men in here that are thinking, man, I can make it by 8.15 kickoff. We're good to go. (laughs) You want this church to experience revival? You come in here this coming uh, Wednesday night and this coming Sunday and week in and week out. And you come with a sense in your heart of humility. And say, I don't know everything. Listen, if you're a teacher in this church, God bless you. Study the Word of God, but listen to your pastor. Amen? And listen to other brothers and sisters. I tell the folks that serve on committees in our, in our church, I say, listen, you hold it lightly. If there's, a, if there's somebody that comes into the church and they get saved and they've got a skill set, maybe they can work on a soundboard or they can do this. Listen, we don't want those folks to run in and act like they know everything. But the people that serve on the committee or run the soundboard or teach a class, if another brother or sister comes in and they can help you, don't you raise up in your heart with pride. Listen. Listen, I had, a, I had a guy who was an arrogant cuss one time. I preached, and he had a critique of the sermon. You know those people, right? But you know what? The critique was right, and the person was a jerk. How does humility respond? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to say, yeah, I messed that one up. Yeah, I'm not everything I thought I was. I need some help. I'm just going to throw this out here. You can decide whether you think this or not. I'm wondering, that, I'm wondering if a healthy measuring tool of Christian growth and humility in your life is the last time you said, I'm sorry. When's the last time you apologized to somebody? You're telling me that in a two or three week span, you don't say something wrong to somebody? You don't think wrong of somebody? You don't snap at somebody? You don't argue with somebody? If you're the kind of person that never says I'm sorry, 
or you say, I'm sorry this way, I'm sorry if that offended you. God doesn't dwell with you. You're not humble. Humility and... You see that word contrition? Contrite? In some of your translations, it's translated crushed. It means to really be burdened and crushed under the weight of your sin. The same word is used in the book of Exodus when, you remember when Aaron uh, tells Moses, hey, the people wanted a God, so I just threw the gold in there and out popped a golden calf. You remember that? He lied to them. The Bible says that Moses took the the golden calf calf and they ground it into powder, put it in the water and made the people drink it. Kind of like when your mama made you wash your mouth out with soap, right? Crushed it. It's a judgment term. To be burdened and to be deeply wounded and bruised and crushed over the weight of your sin. The condition for revival tonight is if God's people in this room will really get crushed under the burden of your sin. I have good news for you. There's another place where that word is used as well. Isaiah 59.3 and verse number 10 says, He was bruised. For our iniquity. He was crushed. For our iniquity. God dwells in a high and holy place. And God dwells with those who are of a broken and a contrite spirit. Humble and crushed over our sin. You know who came to do that? Jesus. Jesus came from heaven. And the Bible says He came to dwell among men. And He tabernacled or He dwelt among us. He took on the form of a man and humbled Himself to death, even the death of the cross, so that men and women and boys and girls could come to Him and take the crushing burden of our sin and lay it upon Jesus Christ. And I say to you tonight that if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, but you feel yourself under the weight of your sin and you know you have broken the law of God, there is hope, there is grace, there is mercy. Run to Jesus and pour your life out to Him. He'll wash your sin away. He'll give you new life. And there are believers in this room. And you have secret unconfessed sin in your life, go to Jesus tonight in humility and brokenness. And you'll meet the conditions for revival. I left off following the Lord in my early 20s. And uh, did a bunch of things that I shouldn't do. And the weight of God kept putting on my heart that I was living in sin. And I remember sitting in an orkin truck. I was a bug man. I was sitting in an orkin truck in Sarasota, Florida. Crying my eyes out. And I remember shouting in that truck and saying, God, if if you'll just leave me alone, I'll never ask you for anything. And God didn't leave me alone. And I sat in a New Year's Day service. And a brother got up to preach. And 
Same message in pretty much every church on New Year's Day. And somewhere along in the middle of the sermon, he just said, are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? And somehow in that moment, the Spirit of God touched my heart. And I knew that I was not close to God. I became really burdened over my sin. And God humbled my heart. And I gave my life back to Him. And I've never been the same. And it is the joy and the honor of my life that God did not leave me alone in that orchid shrug. That He did not answer that prayer. But that He changed me by His power and His grace and His mercy. And I'm just wondering tonight if maybe there is one believer in this room who is not living the way that you should. You've been far away from the Lord. But you're humble and you're crushed under the weight of your sin. And you would come back to the Lord tonight and say, I want to give you my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me. I'm going to serve you all the days of my life.